with all your truth or kindness lord with all your truth or kindness lord welcome to the notice where together we notice the mercy of god i'm susan hookstra your host the notice podcast explores our need for acknowledgement and approval through biblical musings and conversations with special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. On this episode of The Notice, the political culture in our country has become polarized. Even as Christians, we are aligning ourselves more and more with one particular party over another. We took notice of how God wants us to engage in the world instead of anchoring our identity on one particular party. Is it possible for politics to become an idol? How do we engage in a political discussion in a loving way? Join me for this episode of The Notice, where I have a conversation with author Aaron Schaefer about his new book, The Politically Homeless Christian. We discuss how to reject polarization, be wise in our choices, show the love of Jesus, and notice God through politics. Well, I'm excited to have Aaron Schaefer here. Aaron is a Christian author, blogger, podcaster, and motivational speaker. Aaron previously ran the Young Adult Community at Trinity Church in Lansing and has been heavily involved in local outreach and sports ministries. His career is taking him lots of places, including being a motivational speaker and trainer for foundations, business groups, and director of sales for Power of Clean Energy, among others. He's currently director of sales at Self-Publishing School and is married to Naomi, the proud father of three girls and a boy. And he's also an MSU graduate, go green, and an avid MSU basketball fan, which I am too. But today we're gonna discuss Aaron's new book, The Politically Homeless Christian, how to conquer political idolatry, reject polarization, and recommit to God's greatest two commandments. So Aaron, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. This is going to be fun, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, you know, I'm excited to have Aaron here, but I got to be honest with you a little bit. I'm just maybe a little nervous. You see, my mom always told me there are four subjects you want to avoid in life, um, money, sex, religion, and politics. Yeah. So here we are today talking about politics. Or are we? So podcast family, before we dive into this subject, I first want to celebrate Aaron. You know, it's really challenging to write a book and it's a long process, but this particular book required a lot of courage. And Aaron, I just want to really seriously say congratulations for being so brave to tackle this subject. I appreciate that. You know, but before we dive into this conversation, I'm going to offer just a little disclaimer here. And I want to make 100% sure to listeners that having Aaron on the podcast doesn't mean I necessarily agree or align myself with all of Aaron's political viewpoints mentioned here in his book on his social media or blogs. You know, I'm really not trying to be Switzerland here, but I do want to emphasize that this podcast episode is more about noticing God in politics, not necessarily persuading you to one or the other. So listeners, if you're looking for a little bit of a heated debate, I don't know what you're going to find today, but given that, I really want to just dive in, Aaron. What do you think? Sounds good. All right. So my first question for you, Aaron, is 
what compelled you to write a book about politics? You know, it's, it's funny because I was, I was actually writing a totally different book, Susan. I was about a quarter of the way into writing a Christian book uh, on parenting. And so I was actually writing a parenting book for the last little bit. And it was about midsummer where I felt like God really put it on my heart to take a, you know, pretty sharp, you know, a left turn <laughs> to actually going towards a book that was completely different. And where it really stemmed from for me was kind of a deep sadness of looking at the state of our country and just the just mm -hmm. deep, deep, deep polarization. And I think the saddest part for me has been the role that I've seen Christians play in the divisiveness mm -hmm. when I think that ultimately as followers of Jesus, that we really should be the ones that are bringing people together, like the ones that are the light to the world, the ones that are bringing the love of Christ to people in, in the way that we engage in political discourse. And, and it's not to say that all Christians have been doing a poor job of this. There's been a ton of Christians that have been doing this extremely well, but a lot of the, a lot of the divisiveness that I see, it's been really hard to watch as, as people put more of their identity in their political party than they do as a follower of Christ. And so ultimately that was the genesis of this book was, was how, do we, how do we get away from that? How do we get away from the fact where someone's a, a, a Democrat or a Republican first and almost a Christian second? How do we get back to the spot where our identity is firmly rooted in Jesus? And, and then that can inform the way we think about politics, but ultimately that we can approach politics in a more healthy way. So tell me a little bit about what politically homeless means. Yeah, well, it's something that I've kind of heard over and over again. And what's interesting is at first that wasn't be the title of the book. So interestingly enough, the first title I had was Grace-Filled Politics, was how do we bring grace into politics? How do we, and that felt like a seven out of 10 title. It felt okay. Like it didn't feel like a bad title for a book. And yet I was thinking about it of, is that something that if I was scrolling through Amazon, I would necessarily pick up? Is that something that would like grab my attention right away? And the more and more I thought about what is this book truly about? And I just started talking out loud one day of, you know, what, who is this book for? What is this truly the message of the book? And one of the things that just came out loud when I was talking to myself in the basement to no one else was, you know, it's really just this intense feeling of political homelessness that so many of us feel right now. Mm. And then that, that was the start of the title. Because I think a lot of Christians today have a sentiment of, you know, there's certain aspects of each party's platform that I, that I agree with and certain aspects I disagree with. There are certain things said uh, by political leaders on both sides of the aisle that I agree with and certain things that I <laughs> am totally appalled by. And, and I just feel this deep sense of, I don't really belong fully in either party. And that feeling of being politically homeless is something that I've heard over and over again with so many folks I've, I've talked with over the last several months. And so that's, that's the idea of the book is, Ultimately, as Christ followers, we should be politically homeless. If, if, if we ever get to the point where we are 100% like, hey, no matter what, I'm going to vote Democrat every single time. I'm going to vote Republican no matter who the candidate is. Then we really have created a political idol. And we really have gotten away from the point where we you know, are, are, are allowing a, a political party to be on the throne on which Christ really should be sitting. Well, it's funny because you mentioned something about I'm a Democrat, and then I'm a Christian first. Why is it so hard for us to separate our political views from our faith? You know, I think that's a challenging aspect of really, I think it's become more and more challenging because of social media. You know, I think it's always been challenging. And yet, it, what you'll find, there was a fascinating study, I wish I could remember exactly where I first read it, about how back if you looked 
you know, 30 years ago, people actually had quite a variety of political leanings. So, you know, your, your opinion on uh, gun control might not directly correlate with your opinion on abortion or immigration or small government versus big government. There were, it, it, people had much more broad perspectives where you might only agree with your party on 60% of the issues or 70% of the issues. And yet the farther and farther we get into the, you know, into the current century, it's getting more and more to the point where when they run these polls that people align 90, 95% of issues. And you have to stop and think why, because ultimately it wasn't like that before. And I think social media has a big part to do with it. And because we live in these echo chambers that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these places, they generally take the things that they think we want to see and they show us more and more and more of them. And so the hard part is we're living in these kind of self-created echo chambers. And if Facebook is pushing only conservative viewpoints at us or only liberal viewpoints at us, it's pretty hard not to all of a sudden find our, our views aligning with those things because that's the stimulus that we're taking in. And I think then what happens is we have our, our identity as a Christian start to be convoluted with our identity as a Republican or identity as a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And those things should be totally separate. I like C.S. Lewis and in the Screwtape Letters, he talks about there's three dangers regarding political engagement. One is political engagement can lead to pride. The second one is political engagement may lead to being hypocrite, hatred, possessing a lack of compassion, or three, political engagement can become an idol. So how do you think politics can become an idol in our life? Well, I, I love that quote because I think that if you ask yourselves, I always like to come back to the passage in Galatians that talks about the fruits of the spirit. And I always like to ask myself, is the political content I'm consuming you know, the news that I'm choosing to watch, the uh, pundits that I choose to follow, the podcasts I choose to listen to. Do these sources bring out the fruits and spirit in me? Or does it do the opposite? Good, good, Am good. I constantly getting riled up? Am I getting angry? Am I getting fearful? Am I getting like, so if, if that is where it's taking me, then it's probably something I need to turn off. <laughs> it's probably something I don't need to be consuming anymore. And what I find is that if I'll ask myself the simple question, does that message that I find myself aligning with, does that actually jive with scripture? Because frequently I think what'll happen is we'll find ourselves defending positions at times that when we actually take a step back outside of ourselves and say, what would Jesus say about that, about that specific issue? And if, all of a sudden it can be a stark reality to live in like, Oh my goodness. Like I've kind of strayed away from, from following Jesus in the way I view that specific issue. We've probably created a political idol. You know, recently I had Jack Magruder on the podcast and he talked about idols and he said, there's two ways you can tell what happens mm -hmm. if it's taken away. And the other way is what happens if uh, somebody challenges you on it. And nowadays, it's very difficult to have a political discussion without people getting defensive. I know in your book, you came right on said, does a political content I consume make me more like Jesus? I love that. Yeah. And that's a really good measurement for us. You know, many issues drive us to support one candidate over the other. You mentioned the book, taking care of the poor, some of these issues like abortion, immigration. But I love when you talked about the verses in 1 Corinthians 13 that say, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
to sum up that verse in reference to politics, you even said this, and this was really powerful. If you are speaking, thinking, or reasoning with one another, and those words, thoughts, and actions are not rooted in love, you are being a child. Ouch, I just have to say. <laughs> so talk to <laughs> me a little bit about that. Absolutely. And I hope that to give the reader some context, like it, when I talked about that part in the book, it was really geared towards myself, is that I had that realization personally as I was reading Corinthians, because that famous passage, you know, we, we generally think about, you know, love is patient, love is kind, and, and those are the things we hear at weddings, those are the things that we, and then there's that weird verse in the middle that, you know, when I, you know, when I was a child, you're like, well, how does this even fit into that overall verse on love? And yet, the more you step back, the more it makes total sense is that when we can't engage each other in love with everything that we do in our thoughts and our words, um, then we're really acting kind of like a child. And, and I think for a large part of my life, that's how I acted politically is if you challenged me in any way, any of the views I had, like I was going to lash back out because I, I was going to turn into a debate. Like now it's, now it's on. And I think that the, the hard part about the current culture politically that we have, Susan, in our country is that we really do follow politics the same way we follow sports is it is, it is not really about good governance. It's not really about specific issues it's really more about winning and losing. Mm. You, and, and, and you can know this because if you just look over multiple election cycles, there are tons of issues that even just eight years ago that Democrats stood against that now they stand for, that Republicans stood against and now they stand for. And yet you'll see the same group of people like just violently agree with their, with their leader um, because we've gotten to the point where we care more about the R or the D you know, on the proverbial jersey, so to speak. Yeah. And it's more about wanting to win. And I think that that's how we get so riled up and so fired up that we can't just talk about real issues. And we can't say, hey, what is the best way to attack poverty? You know, what, what are some, some systems that we could put in place? Like, how could we tackle some of these real issues in our country that, that did break the heart of Jesus? And now Jesus was not, Jesus did not come out and say, here's how to solve it. Here is, here's the role of government. Here is the role that government shouldn't play. So I think that if we go to the Bible to inform the exact policies that we should try to go for, then we're probably missing the point because the Bible doesn't specifically say what the government should do to help with certain issues, whether it's caring for the poor, the marginalized, what the Jesus talks a lot about, but he doesn't say what role government should play. So I think that we're open to interpreting, is there something that we should do through government? Should it be a free market solution? I think those are valuable debates, but if we're not willing to engage those debates in love, if we're not really willing to engage those debates with intellectual curiosity, if we're not willing to actually hear thoughts from the other side, and we only listen to rebut, then I think that's where, that's where I think God would say, hey, stop, stop reasoning like a child. It's okay. You know, it's okay. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think sometimes we do that in other kinds of contemplations, whether it's a different topic or not. It doesn't matter what subject it is, but I think it gets more heated in politics. Absolutely. You know, on the notice, we talk about validation. And what I mean by validation or how we define it here is acknowledgement. So, for instance, let's say we're talking about issues and you say something, and maybe I have a different, a different perspective or, or uh, view on that. If I, I could sit there and listen to you, and if I'm really listening to it, I'm going to acknowledge what you said. Now, what we think is if I'm acknowledging it, acknowledging means you have the right to your viewpoint, Aaron. You get to have your viewpoint. 
because that's the fine establishment of free will. We, you get to have your viewpoint. So acknowledgement just says, you, yeah, you get to have your viewpoint. It doesn't mean I agree. And I think oftentimes when we get into the approval, what, we're wait, what we really want is someone to agree with us. Sure. And we think that love requires agreement. And I don't think it requires agreement. What do you think would happen if we changed how we had these conversations and we just let somebody acknowledge their viewpoint and not even bother trying to disagree or agree, just listened? Oh, I mean, it would be transformative because it is a we generally either don't listen at all or we listen for the hole in the argument. Typically that's the way we listen in politics is either we don't listen at all or we're trying to figure out how can I possibly rebut what they just said and and prove that my view is actually right. Whereas if we actually step back and say, I truly, Susan, want to understand why you believe what you believe surrounding that topic. And possibly there's some wisdom in it. And that's the thing that I would challenge every person listening is, I mean, over and over again in the Bible and Proverbs especially, you know, talking about like how the wise are always looking to add to their wisdom. They're always versus, you know, the proud, the mockers are the ones that uh, yeah. they, they don't want to hear anything different than their own opinion. And sometimes there's moments where, you know, when you listen deeply and you actually keep asking probing questions, sometimes you actually come away saying, huh, like I never thought about through that angle. Like there's, there's something there. Like my, my opinion just became a lot more nuanced because of what you just shared or in some cases you might actually change your mind on it. And I think that that's the power of empathy and that's the power of genuinely listening deeply in these conversations, instead of simply trying to win the argument and and win the debate is we can come away wiser. And at a bare minimum, even if we don't come away thinking any differently and like, ah, you know what, agree, disagree. At a bare minimum, you've maintained the relationship and you might have a deeper appreciation, deeper understanding of why they believe what they believe even if you don't see it through the same lens. COVID taught me, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And I think if we go into a conversation with that mindset, the motivation of not trying to win or lose, like you mentioned, and really truly listening, we might be able to have some good conversations. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd like to think I know all these resources. We're, we're kind of being challenged now. We're getting media telling us all kinds of things. And, I don't really know what to listen to. How do we listen to that? How do we decide what we should explore? You know, I think for me, one of the things that's really helped is unplugging from what I would call the political horse race. So any coverage that is about, you know, okay, how is this going to, how is this recent event going to impact the race? How is it going to impact Trump? How is it going to impact Biden? Any of it that becomes about the contest of politics and it becomes that following of the sport holds so little value. And, and they usually just work to get us riled up. Similarly, if it's, if it's a person that is speaking from such a place of um, anger and fear baiting on either side of the aisle, whether it's on the right or on the left, if it's constantly negative about the other side, instead of proactive solution driven content, I just unplug from it. It's just not worth listening to or watching. And so for me, I much prefer reading articles, Susan, to watching TV because TV and and really polarizing um, radio or podcasts, they know what keeps eyeballs on the screen. They know what keeps ears listening and it's outrage. Mm-hmm. And so 
it's shock value. And so they know what's going to keep the person there versus an article. It's less passionate, Like you can just read facts, you know, from, you know, any news outlets. And I always, I'll tell you one thing that I appreciate doing is actually reading more publications that are outside of the United States because they have, they don't have the same visceral, like left versus right Republican versus Democrat. It's more of just, I can read more of the facts. And so if I'm reading an article and it's attributing motive, if it's like constantly saying, here's why this person did this, I'm not that interested. I'm more interested in the facts Mm -hmm. and like journalistic reporting. I'm looking and I'm looking for stories that go deep instead of why, you know, I want, I want to really get some substance to it. And so those are the ones I try to try to spend more time reading. And then I also always tell my, I, 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 this is a rule I have. I'm not going to allow myself to be shocked by the headline if I'm not willing to read the article. Good for you. And I also like this concept of motive. Only God really knows our motives, right? I don't know the motives behind people. I can draw conclusions or assumptions or commit a a suicide, but I, I don't really know what I don't know. And especially when it comes to people's motives, because when it comes to politics, people's motives are all over the map. Absolutely. It, it is. It's just like that team, you know, like, why does somebody like the Spartans over Wolverines? Well, we won't get into that, right? Yeah. Yep. But, <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? No, it's interesting. Also, in the book, you talk about abortion, fighting poverty, gun control, health care, the environment, taxes. And then you even humbly admitted, I would say, in your book that you want to focus on policy instead of people. Now, I know we can't cover any, every issue here. Talk a lot about some of the social conditions that we have here in this country. And so I'm just going to throw something out there. Aren't there other things that Christians should be concerned about? For example, let's say religious freedom. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I think the thing that for me, as I try to think about policy versus person, And one of the reasons why I would advocate and why I did in the book that I am more concerned with looking at the character of the individual candidate than the full policy platform. Now I'm gonna look at both. Like in an ideal world, the person that I most trust and feel like has the qualities that the Bible talks about in leadership, um, hopefully that aligns most closely with the policies as well. But the thing that I come back to over and over again, Susan, is kind of we talked about at the beginning, the Bible does not say specifically the role government should play. So I think that we can actually use to our own free will and our own judgment to say, what is the best way to tackle this? Now, I do think as Christians, it is up to us to try to tackle those serious issues. But ultimately, how we go about it, we can have debate over. However, the Bible talks over and over and over again about what we're called to look for in leaders. Like frequently, I mean, it talks in, in Proverbs about for lack of a guidance, a nation falls. It talks about the, a lot about humility. It talks a lot about integrity. And so for me, I have voted uh, for Republicans. I have voted for Democrats. I have voted independent over the last 20 years of my voting life. And I will always vote for different parties because I think that if I can look at the person and I see integrity, I see a track record of getting things done. I love candidates that will work across the aisle that have that, that intellectual curiosity to say, hey, I want to find the best solution to healthcare. I don't, I don't care if it comes from the Republican side or the Democratic side. Like, let's talk about how could we tackle this monster that is rising premiums and healthcare costs. And whatever the way, whatever the best solution is, if you've got it, I'm for it. And I, I, want, I want politicians that are willing to do that. And so for me, I look much more at character. Um, and then if we are going to say 
Well, let's dive into some policy issues, though. I, I like to start with the place of saying, what did Jesus spend the vast majority of his time on earth talking about? And that's the reason why I, I think as Christians, it would behoove us to spend more time thinking about things like uh, how do we deal with poverty? How can we strike the right balance on an immigration front where we still have uh, kindness to foreigners that the Bible talks over and over again, but do it in a, in a smart and sustainable way? And, and, and again, that doesn't mean that someone needs to be conservative or liberal on that. Let's just have the conversation in a compassionate way. And so we can come to really good conclusions. And so for me, things like um, when, you, when you brought up religious freedom, I'm not sure... I, I kind of feel like that is the type of topic that frequently both sides use in an attempt to divide us. Because I, it's a, at no point have I felt like that is truly under assault. Like at no point have I felt like I can't go and worship and pray and be in a small group and share my faith and be in a podcast like this and, and write a book that, that is the merging of politics and religion. Um, and so I think that sometimes some of these social issues that we get riled up about. Um, so if, you know, if there's a story about a, a bakery that's, you know, doesn't want to make a cake for a same-sex marriage. And I totally understand why both sides would say, hey, I really feel strongly that that bakery should have to make that cake. And I feel I, I can understand why someone might say like, hey, if they feel very strongly that they're against that. And yet when I looked at the Bible, I see so many issues that Jesus spent so much time talking about that I occasionally feel like issues like that become, um, when they're the focus, they become a tad bit of a distraction versus us saying like, what are the big picture issues? Like what are the rocks that Jesus talked about over and over and over again? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I understand your viewpoint, but I'm gonna just, I'm gonna, we're gonna have a good conversation here, right? Absolutely. A lovely conversation. I would, I would say that without religious freedom, without the ability to worship, without the ability to have podcasts, without the ability to, to go to church, without the ability to do that, um, that's going to limit everything else that we do as Christians. So, I totally agree. like, I would have to say that that's a big issue in my mind. If Absolutely. there's anything that is harboring religious freedom. Now, now we have to be discerning here, right? Now, this is the part that gets discerning how do we know which candidates for or against religious freedom? And this is where we get into the, the muck. You and I, we can agree that religious freedom is important. Sure, right? absolutely. We agree that. It's not as immediately important to you from what you said. It's not as immediately important to you because it's not, it's not an issue that's happening right this moment. But it doesn't mean it couldn't happen or wouldn't happen. or I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> sure, absolutely. But, um, I would simply say this is I have seen no evidence that either Republicans or Democrats are assaulting religious freedom. I, I have seen no evidence of that on either party's political platform. And so that's why a lot of times that like issues like that, when they become the center of a debate versus saying, what are the issues that are very real right now in our face that our country is struggling with? You know, sometimes that's, that's my only concern. And so it's not that it's not a if they're if if let's say either party came out today and said hey like core to our platform is the fact that we we actually believe that you can't practice religion in the united states anymore like we are we are going all the way towards like some of the totalitarian governments that have have outlawed religion obviously now we're having a totally different discussion 
but that's not the case. That's not in the policy platform yeah. of the party. And so that's where I, I, and so not to, I'm sorry to push back against your question. It's more that I think that sometimes those issues that are actually not something, I think we make them more extreme than they actually are occasionally. And that's where news networks on talk radio on podcasts is sometimes those issues become the center focus. And then we lose the focus on the issues that are very real in the country, which is we have a ton of folks that are, are struggling right now um, in poverty. You know, we, there are war-torn countries that there, there are a ton of refugees that are displaced right now and saying, how do, we, how do we handle that in a compassionate way? And that's not to say that it's not to say that it's the, the, the Republican Party has all the answers or the Democratic Party has all the answers on that. It's more that I would love to get to a place where as Christians, what we fiercely advocate for what the, the things that dominate our discussions are the issues that dominated Jesus's discussions. I would have to respectfully agree and respectfully disagree. <laughs> so, and this is what one of the things I want to do today is if we, if we had a difference, I think it's okay to talk about that difference. Oh, hundred percent. From a scale of one to 10, 10 being the strongest, I feel religious freedom is a 10 in my book. So that that's, that's my particular stand. I think religious freedom is strong. I think it's stronger. So that's not as strong to you as what I'm hearing, but you, you do believe it's important. It's just not as strong as a 10. And so I just want to throw that out there, um, mostly for the listeners that, you know, we can have a conversation. Aaron and the guy, I agree, and we disagree on maybe the enormity of that issue, but we're, we're still talking. See, you see what I mean? We're no, talking, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right? Okay. And that's kind of what I think that's what's challenging now is to have these conversations and be able to just acknowledge, I'm, I'm acknowledging, hey, Aaron, that's where you're at. And you can acknowledge that's where I'm at. You might, you might not agree. And, and the funny thing is, if I'm looking for your approval, I'm going to be disappointed, right? Sure, sure. If you're looking for mine, we're going to be disappointed. So if we go back to that whole concept of validation, which is acknowledging what we're saying there is that, you know what? Okay, I acknowledge that you have that viewpoint. Now, I, I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think that ultimately, as I think that as Christians, if we, if we have the, if we start from the place of the most important thing in the way we engage in politics, the most important thing in the candidates we choose to support, if the most important thing is our ability to maintain our witness, in a broken and fallen world is like our ability to still uh, maintain our integrity that we can go to people that don't know Jesus yet and reach them. And so for me, that's why I think it's so critical um, that we are, that we are intellectually honest in the choices that we make and that we really think about the candidates that we throw our support behind and to make sure that they are folks that we could say with a a high degree of confidence that we would want to stand behind um, if we're going to cast our ballot for them. It reminds me of this quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says, he who converts his neighbor has performed the most practical Christian political act of all. Mm -hmm. And that gets us back to mercy, right? And the gospel. In Romans 12, 1, Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to how does mercy change our viewpoint? Where does the gospel fit into this whole arena of politics? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. I think, you know, I, I look at the way we, when I think about mercy, one of the things that I think about a lot is how do we 
think about root level issues in our society versus how do we punish? So a lot of times I, 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 uh, I think about the way we attacked the war on drugs is a good example, you know, because the way we went about that was how can we have strong enough punishments so that we can deter the action and drug use didn't really go down. And uh, both sides of the aisle, both conservative and Democrat, you know, now say, wow, the way we handled that was, was pretty broken. That didn't work very well versus saying, how could we have more of a, a grace focus and a mercy focus? How could we get to the root level of like, man, I wonder what's causing drug use to be so high in the first place. Like, how can we reach people as the body of Christ for Jesus? Like, how can we do more outreach? How can we win over more hearts instead of simply how can we criminalize more behavior? Because ultimately, if we have the mindset of, I want to win people over for Jesus, because ultimately, who's in power for the next four years? Uh, you know, the great arc of history it's going to be less relevant than my ability to still go to my neighbor and witness to them for Christ. And so that, that's, that's for my, my, in my mind, if we are guarding our hearts and the don't be conformed to this world, you know, tr we want to transform our mind is really guarding that when it comes to politics, because if we do get too tightly woven into the, to the, to the, far right or the far left, if we, if our identity is tied up too much in being a Democrat or a Republican, then it becomes very easy to conform to the patterns of this world versus if we're really focused on Jesus and saying, hey, what does your word tell me, Lord, about your priorities? What does your word tell me about what to look for in a leader? And if we really go to the Bible for that before we cast a ballot uh, in November, I think that we'll go in with a lot more confidence. And, and also we'll, we'll feel better at guarding our heart that we're not always stirred up and angry and constantly you know, focused on the wrong things. And when someone disagrees with us, you know, getting you know, upset and seeing red immediately. And so for me, that's, I wanna always have mercy and grace for not only folks in our society, but also for people on the other side of the aisle. You know? and, and I'm extremely independent. I have voted in for, every, for each party and frequently I vote third party. And so for me, I always want to engage those conversations with a level of grace and mercy and really hearing the other person out and seeking for wisdom in their opinions. The second half of your book is actually a journal. Yeah. It uses the Romans 12 too that I just quoted. And it's a journal that you go through about some devotions and also just reflections about different situations and prayer and to be thoughtful. So you go into prayer and scripture and then of course, all this doesn't work unless we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, right? Absolutely. Um, and because the Holy Spirit is our great discerner, and he helps us figure things out. There are times he helps me figure things out. I'm like, where did that come from? Yeah, you amen. Know, if you're somebody out there listening to this today, and you're going, wow, man, I just don't know where I stand. The back of this book might be helpful to you to kind of just take some time and think about it. I know it's challenging. We don't have time. We're, we're busy doing our jobs and mowing our lawns and taking our kids to, uh, well, not soccer practice, but you know, <laughs> we're busy taking our, um, schooling our kids and all kinds of things. So we're busy out there. And if you really need to, you know, take this time. And I also encourage, you know, he talked about prayer and scripture, but also uh, surrendering to the spirit. So you can get uh, Aaron's book on Amazon. Just feel free to Google it, The Politically Homeless Christian by Aaron Schaefer. And Aaron, just as we kind of tie things up today, can you provide like a quote or scripture or something that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, no, absolutely. 
You know, I think that for me, I know I mentioned this before, but this is something that I try to lead my family by. And it's something that I try to keep at the center of my politics, which is, which is in Galatians 5. Um, I, I just love the concept of the fruits of spirit because in, in Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there, are, there is no law. And for me, that's how I want to approach politics is I want to ask myself, is the way I engage with my neighbor, regardless of whether we disagree on an issue, is it full of love? Is it full of joy? Is it full of peace? faithfulness, gentleness? Do I have self-control, you know, as I'm talking about potentially hot button issues? And, and then am I consuming content that builds that up versus tears that down? And I think that if as Christians, we, we have that mindset of let's spend more time on, on in God's word and less time uh, watching political news shows, you know, more time in God's word and in prayer and with our small group than, than listening to talk radio on either side of the aisle. I think we'd all be better off for it. Yeah, that, that's good. Another quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So thank you, Aaron, for being here, for us having a good conversation. We did all right, didn't we? We made it. We made it. We got through politics. See, friends, we can talk about politics and still be friends and still smiling. And, and again, that's because our anger's on Jesus. Friends, I trust this podcast gave you some different things to consider regarding your political life and encourages you to have some loving conversations. I would also encourage you to watch a Netflix documentary entitled Social Dilemma, which talks about the effects social media has on us. As you consider resources to help you in this spiritual battle, please take notice of the best weapons we have to help us discern. The notice recommends prayer, worship, scripture, the armor of God, and alignment with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to help us gain discernment. Our prayer team is praying for you during this election year as you will. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Next time on The Notice. It is estimated that 50% of all women will experience hair loss in their life. But what would it be like to be completely bald? Tune in as we talk with Nikita Brunson, esthetician and owner of Uncovered Beauty Studio. We hear about what it was like for her to grow up with alopecia, a condition which causes baldness. We'll talk about the insecurities that often come with baldness and how God has helped her take notice of her beauty and how she is helping other women notice and embrace theirs. Until next time, take notice.